Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. On this episode, we're discussing SST 168, the Ross Michael album, Zion Train. Both Brent and I are big fans of reggae and the Bad Brains, so it's really cool to get into this Ross Michael record. It's the one and only Ross Michael album on SST, and that's it. But um, as we'll see uh, when we get into it, HR has got a very strong presence on this too, and we'll be getting into another HR record in a few weeks too, so we'll we'll keep it going. Lots of HR records. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'm looking forward to that for sure. Um, Now, Brent... Before we get into it, I spun the wheel of spiels, and you're up first. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a wheel with my name and your name on it? That's right. 50-50 chance of it being you. Okay. Uh, Ryan, so uh, last week I talked about Dr. Dream Records. Right. And I promised more to come. So do you remember this band, Christy McCool? They were on that record, Tantrum. They have a song on there called Neil's Deal with Meals. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's right. just an awesome song. Yeah. So I, I've gotten into that band since... They, they might be the band that really got me interested in Dr. Dream. But I tracked down their one and only record called Lovelier Than the Queen of England from 1990. And that song's re-recorded on it, by the way, Neil's Deal with Meals. And it's a really good record. They kind of got lumped in with like the funk metal thing that came along in the wake of Faith No More. Hmm. But okay. they're way too weird to to be part of that there there's elements of that for sure but the vocals really set it apart like totally unique vocals thomas tree was the vocalist name uh sometimes he croons sometimes he sounds like you know when beavis like is having one of his spaz attacks (laughs) i guess yeah that's what he sounds like okay yeah and Uh, it's good it's good he he had a band previous (laughs) to this called bada trees i think is how you pronounce it Totally need to track that down. I'm on the hunt for that. So um, I did read a thing. This sounds like something that could just be a PR thing that they made up. But supposedly Thomas Tree was living in this building that he was the building manager for. And some drug addict named Christy McCool upstairs almost burned the building down when she set her bed on fire. Ah. So that's where the band name came from. Anyways, I had a really hard time tracking people from this band down, but I... I found drummer Bobby Breton, and this is what he had to tell me about Christy McCool. There is almost nothing out there about them on the mm. internet. Uh, so he says, uh, he wants to just make note that he was not the, the original drummer of Christy McCool. In 1990, he says, I answered an, an ad in either Music Connection or Music Institute that stated something like, drummer wanted for signed band must be able to play with finesse and power. The original drummer Diego had secured a hotel gig in Japan in late summer 1990 and subsequently moved to Tokyo shortly before McCool got signed. Needless to say, I jumped at the opportunity to audition. What I liked about the band was the eclectic influence. Tribal, psychedelic, funk, punk, all blended together, fueled by Thomas Tree on vocals, who dressed like a demonic jester, howled like a female banshee, and murmured like Jim Morrison. Neil McAnally on bass guitar was an inter- interesting player with his own style and nasty, beautiful tone. Neil was Thomas's right-hand man, and they were the veterans in the band. They wrote the majority of the music. Jason Dauberton on electric guitar had joined McCool uh, shortly before Diego left. Bobby says, I became fast friends with Jason since we were the newest guys in the band. However, over the years, I've kept in touch with Neil and see him more frequently than the other members of the band. 
Dave Hayes signed the band to Dr. Dream in early fall 1990, and we were slated to go into the studio in October. It was a very exciting time for me, and I enjoyed every minute of it. We played only in Hollywood. Christy McCool epitomized the decadent, alternative, psychedelic Hollywood scene, playing places like Club Lingerie, The Whiskey, Raji's. In 1991, McCool toured the United States with the support of Dr. Dream and our sponsor, Jagermeister, completing over 40 shows in a two-month span. <laughs> Later that year, we went to Europe, touring primarily in Germany. We spent approximately one month there playing on the east and west side. It was actually very interesting considering that the wall only came down a couple years earlier. The energy was electric and maybe a little risky. I know this sounds like a cliche, but creative tensions and egos were escalating, and later that year, Chrissy McCool was dropped from the Dr. Dream label. I left in 1992 to pursue myself as a freelance session touring musician in the LA scene. I want to mention there was a band on Dr. Dream called Food for Feet that featured my good friend John Avila, whom I only met five years ago. We collaborate together on music productions. These days I compose and produce music out of my home studio in Redondo Beach for multimedia indie film and artists. I also tour and record with jazz artist Yuko Mabuchi. I don't keep in touch with Thomas Tree or Jason, and I honestly don't know if they even play music anymore. And I couldn't find anything either, so... But that's a cool record. Super, super interesting. It sounds like, you know, do you remember that documentary I watched and I recommended to you, Scenesters? Yeah, I watched it. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know, we start to see some folks that are in or associated with Dr. Dream in that Scenesters doc, hey? Maybe. Maybe I did watch it, um, and I don't remember. Uh, so there is a documentary, though, on the Cadillac Tramps, who had, like, yes. they had three or four records on Dr. Dream. Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that, but I, I was told by uh, one of these uh, band members that I talked to that I should watch it, and that Dave Hayes is in the documentary. Yeah. From Dr. Dream. I, well, yeah, I watched that documentary a while back and I would not have been paying attention to Dr. Dream references at the time, but it makes yeah. me want to watch that and the Scenesters one again. The Scenester one is really good. Oh, I told yeah. you. It's yeah. good. Since you mentioned doc, Dr. Dream, I, I looked it up and I was like, because man, I know that label and you know how I know it is the band, The Texas Instruments. Yeah, they're and, cool. Yeah, I hope. I don't know. Are you going to have a spiel on them eventually or what? I might. Yeah. I don't have one yet, but they're on my list of, of bands I want to dive into. Yeah. Dive into them. I like them. Okay. Well, you dive into Christy McCool. Done. You're going to like it. Okay. Ryan, just really quickly. Um, I have a futon update. What? Yeah. Okay. Lay it on me. The SNFU EP, a blessing, but with it, a curse is super killer. Yes. You know, the tracks are not barrel scrapings. They're as good as any of the stuff on In the, in the Meantime in between, and In Between Time. Yeah. So people should not sleep on that release. Uh, and a bit of a podcast shout out, that Propagandy podcast, yep. Unscripted Moments. Uh, so they had a bonus episode on one of the tracks, Hail Bop, which features uh, not only Chris Hanna, Ted Kowalski, and George Samolski of Propagandy on that song, but Brent Belke's on it, mm-hmm. who was, of course, a founding member, and I don't think has played on an SNFU track probably since leaving the band in the late 90s. Yeah, I think the last thing he was on was the Ping Pong EP, I think. Yeah. Well, anyways, Mark Belke was a guest on the show, talking nice. about, he talks about these tracks, 
He talks about some of the reissues. It's a great, great interview with Muck. So people should check that out. Yeah, I'm on that. And finally, Ryan, I just want to very briefly dip into the comp zone. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. Not possible. Ryan, three on the tree, 1994, CZ Records. Oh, you finally yeah. listened to the right one, did you? I finally did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As the title suggests, it's a three-song seven-inch. Wreck, the great Chicago band. I know we've talked about them before. Yep. Dino uh, Schlebowski of the great band Waco Brothers, uh, which he co-founded following Wreck, I believe. Uh, Keith Brammer's in the band of Dykroydson. Great track on here. Your Monkey's on Fire. I think it's exclusive to the single. Mm -hmm. Vexed, the Seattle yeah. band. I think we've also talked about them before. They have two really killer records on CZ. Yep. Great 90s riffy punk rock. And the funky. beat. Yeah, a little funky. Not this track, but uh, the B-side. Engine Kid. Surprisingly, the band I know the least about, even though they're probably the most well-known of the three. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Yeah. Seattle band often compared to Slint. This is a good track. It gets really heavy and noisy. It doesn't say it on the sleeve, but it sounds a lot like an Albini production. So I'm going to add them to my list of bands I, I need to take a deeper dive into for sure. It's a yeah. great little single. It is. Yeah. Those those two, again, like, I, I'm pretty sure I actually mentioned both of those in my my blog from 14 years ago on Maybe our website. Yeah, I think I mentioned did. both of them, but I, I love those, those, as I said in my blog, those old label comp series that used to come out and they'd have like, you know, two of the bands with an exclusive track um, that are on the label and then just a friend of the band or friend of the label. Right. Love that. It seemed like in the 90s, there was like two of those a month, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's it, man. Take it away, Spieler Walker Jr. <laughs> all right, all on right. The wheel well, of Spiel. All right, man. So it's we're on the the other side of the wheel of Spiels here. And remember, I did a Spiel a way back on Wishing Well Records. Yeah, that was on episode one forty eight, the Blast Record, Power of Expression. Right. And and I mentioned I did a bit of a Spiel on Wishing Well. Mentioned all the bands. I've been kind of low-key obsessed with Wishing Well since then. I've been getting really, you know, old-school hardcore. They're like your doctor dream right now. Exactly. Well, yeah, but but hang on. I've been high-key obsessed, not low-key, high-key obsessed with one of the Wishing Well bands, Grave Goods. Yeah, they're good. That's oh. the band you hit me to. I can't remember the name of that record, but I tracked it down, and I love it. I need to oh. listen to that again. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, New Face Revealed is, yeah, that's it. Yep. is the record. And they put out one single on Wishing Well called Narrow House, 1988. And uh, their full length, one full length released on cassette and CD. They both absolutely rule, Brent. I don't know what it is. Like, I'm, I just can't get enough. And so I need more as well. And so this segment is about the Grave Goods tree. Oh, and I'm I'm calling it grasping for grave goods because I want I want more and unfortunately there's not a lot out there but um, there is a a pretty deep well 
for one of the members, which we'll get no to pun in intended. Pretty yeah. good. Well, in the wishing well, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so, anyways, what I did was because I just can't get enough of this record. And you know what? So, spoiler alert: Colin Sears was the drummer who was in uh, Dag Nasty, and I'll get into him in a minute. But there's actually an interview with Colin Sears out there and he talks about Grave Goods and he says, you know, he wasn't a huge fan of the record. He, he said it was a little slick and that the singer was a little like a little over the top. But I got to tell you, man, it's not too slick for me. And then the vocals are one of the things that I love the best, not just yeah. the songwriting, but the guy can sing. So the singer is a guy named Paul Jenkins and I can find absolutely nothing zero on this guy and someone please correct me on this i checked discogs band to band.com i went into the dark web i did everything and i cannot find anything on paul jenkins now we knew more about him i thought somebody i thought when we talked about grave goods someone hipped us to some i i wish i wish maybe it's maybe it's about the other guys in the band which i'll go through in a minute we talk about so many bands on this show i can't even keep it all straight man I know. Again, like, I hope I'm wrong. And maybe, maybe he's under a different name on another record and I forgot about it. But someone, please correct me. I want, I want to see whether that guy released anything else other than this single and album. The bass player, though, guy named F.J. Ventre or Venter on bass, Frederick Jenkins Venter. He later played in a band called The Shods, which was a Lowell massachusetts band they had a record in 97 called stop crying kind of alternative punk roots surf the closest thing i could think of is like in canada we had this guy big rude jake it's kind of it's kind of like that's not really a good comparison but and you know they don't have horns or anything but he plays an upright on it i don't know there's probably a ton of other stuff out there that sounds a lot like it that i just don't know He also played with a Roots Country bluegrass guy named John Shane, S-H-A-I-N. There's a record, the John Shane Trio, called the Cress Sessions on Flying Records 2011. And John Shane and F.J. Venter have an album called Tomorrow Will Be Yesterday Soon on Flying Records 2018. They're both okay. It's not really my thing, Roots, Roots Country stuff. Finally, he also played with a band called the Stars Explode, an alt-power-pop indie-type band. Uh, they have an album, Between the Lines, 2012. It's catchy. It's not a mind-blower, though. That's all I can find out about the bass player. Stephen Wardlaw, though, the guitarist, this might have, might be who you were thinking of, Brandt, other than Colin Sears. He ended up playing in a punk band with Colin Sears called The Marshes. And that's a, a Northampton, Massachusetts band formed with Colin Sears and M.L. Burry, 1994. They have four records, self-titled 1995 on Psych or Evade Records, Fledgling from 96 on Grass Records, Pox on the Tracks, 1997 on Doctor Strange Records, not Doctor Dream, Doctor Strange. Right. And then in 2000, the album Recluse, also on Doctor Strange. The Marshes are good. And Emil can sing. He can't sing like Paul Jenkins, but he can sing. And the, the Marshes, are, they're worth checking out. Yeah, I don't know them, so... Stephen also went on to play in a couple of bands called The New Harmful and So Very Small. I could only find some live footage of The New Harmful, and uh, I did not find anything about 
so very small. But anyways, the best so far probably is the Marshes. Then, of course, we get to Colin Sears, probably the most prolific and well-known member of Grave Goods. He was in the original incarnation of Fugazi. He was in the Marshes with Stephen Wardlaw, as I just mentioned. Of course, he was in Dag Nasty. He played on, I think, almost everything except for the Field Day album. Even the reunion albums, Four on the Floor with Dale Nixon and the Minority of One album. But let's look at some other Colin Sears records because I'm still, I'm grasping for grave goods and I want some more. I want some right. more. So right. you got to, and, and of course, Colin was involved way before grave goods in playing music. He was in a, a band called Pudwack. In 1984, they released a, a cassette called Killer Happy, kind of lo-fi punk, pretty raw, not that great. It's on WGNS Records, though, which Sears started as a label with Sharon Cheslow from Chalk Circle and Jeff Turner from Grey Matter. So obviously a DC scene and area label. He then was also in a band called Bloody Mannequin Orchestra or BMO with Roger Marbury who was in Dag Nasty. They had uh, the cassette Streetlights in the Dark on WGNS 1984, Roadmap to Revolution LP, WGNS 84. It's a kind of a weird art punk band. That one's worth checking out. Also in what Colin describes as a joke band, this band called Blood Bats. Have you ever heard of them, Brent? Nope. So also had Roger... Um, but also had Charles Bennington from the BMO band. There's this, a record called Fatal Book Opened on Hellfire Records, 1987. I've never heard it, but when I was reading about it, apparently it's kind of rap, pop, indie weirdness. It's kind of like, you know, a bit of a joke band, I guess, as Colin describes it. He did say, though, that their second album, Stopping a Freight Train on a Dime on WGNS in 91, is more of a pop punk new wave album. And uh, it's not bad. It's worth checking out. Probably, other than the bands that I've mentioned so far, the band, though, that is probably closest when I'm grasping for grave goods is this band called Rumble Puppy with M.L. Boosie on bass and vocals, who Colin would go on to form The Marshes with, Stephen Wardlaw. It's kind of a precursor to The Marshes, but it kind it's of that grave goods era. They've got a, a double single on WGNS from 1990 and a record on Selfless called G's Ooze from 1992. It's cool, melodic, hardcore punk. I check out Rumble Puppy if you're into, into the grave goods. The vocals are not as strong. Emil is way better as a singer when he's in the marshes, for sure. Hmm. Then there's also Los Vampiros. Do you know that band, Brent? No, I don't. I don't think so. So Los Vampiros, they put out one record, one single. The, the LP is Less Than a Feeling, 1993 on Selfless. This is an outing by Colin with Pete Cortner on vocals from Dagnasty, of course. Pretty sure that Roger is on bass as well. They use kind of fake names on there. If you want more Field Day era Dagnasty, this could fit the bill, but it's a pretty uneven record. And then there's 7-inch I Kill Dogs on uh, Selfless in 92 is also okay, but not the greatest. This band, I bet you you know, Brant, though, Alloy, yep. that Colin Sears was in, formed yeah. with Vic Bondi from Articles of Faith and Roger Marbury on bass as well. 
their two great albums eliminate on Bitscore 92 self-titled on engine in 93 obviously nothing like grave goods but still great records yeah, they are really good yeah and then after that it looks like colin played in a band i couldn't really find out much about them called thundering asteroids they're hailed as kind of a nerd punk band from portland i think he was maybe in it for a minute another band called handgun bravado their record these days move fast firefly recordings 2004 with a guy from this band zoinks it's a pop early 2000s pop punk sounding band i mean it's it's okay it's no grave goods though and then another band called the valley floor which i couldn't find anything on so real quick that's the grave goods tree awesome grave goods rules the other bands on the tree that are probably the best and closest dag nasty of course the marshes rumble puppy and then i love alloy and i would listen to them too but Mm -hmm. someone anyone please out there tell me more about grave goods yeah well you know you don't they don't have to be on the grave goods tree you know like there's other bands that sound like grave goods like who well i don't know (laughs) exactly you should should know that's your scene man (laughs) i know i know that's my scene look i i there are lots of bands from back there that were playing the melodic hardcore and stuff there's just they've got the special sauce for me i don't know what it is and i'm i'm high key obsessed and i can't stop it okay that's all i got man i just had the one but it was a it was a deep dive good one should we uh hop aboard the zion train yeah man history lesson part one all right so as we mentioned this is a one and done record but hr's on it and we've got lots of hr coming up just to start out though the story be sure to go and check back our earlier episodes where we talk about the history of bad brains and how HR or Paul Hudson, as he, uh, you know, he was originally known and Joseph, as he is sometimes known now, the singer for bad brains, how he got into Rastafarianism. Uh, make sure to check out SST 65, the eye against eye show SST 117, the human rights album where we had Kenny dread on brand, which was cool. SST 160, where we had Daryl Jennifer for the live album. That yeah. was a huge highlight for us. Yeah. We go through the history of Bad Brains and all of those, how um, they moved to New York and back to DC, how HR started collecting this group of musicians around him. When he wasn't in the Bad Brains, he was playing reggae music and starting up at the Dread House. I think that's a big reason he wasn't in Bad Brains, is he wanted them to play reggae and Doc and Daryl were not feeling it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think he wanted to actually change the name of the Bad Brains to Zion Train. I think so. It doesn't surprise me. Because, yeah. And I'll mention a bit about that in a second here, in terms of the name itself and how Ross Michael felt about it, right? And, and again, you know, HR has a very large presence on this record, but it's called the Ross Michael album Zion Train. So let's start with Ross Michael. So Ross Michael was born in 1943 as Michael George Henry in St. Mary's Parish, Jamaica, raised in a Rastafarian community. And again, Rastafari, Rastafarianism is a religion that emerged in Jamaica in the 30s based on a specific interpretation of the Bible. As a teenager, Ross Michael started playing music with other Rastafarians in Kingston. In the mid-60s, he set up the Zion Disc record label. He also worked at Cox and Dodd's legendary Studio One 
as a session musician and released a number of singles. I've even got um, some Ross Michael tracks on some of my Studio One comps. It was cool kind of digging into those this past week. Yeah. Um, he's the first member of the Rastafarian movement to have a reggae radio program called The Lion of Judah Time, airing first in 1967. And that was on the JBC. That's um, the radio and uh, the network, I guess, founded in 1959 by Premier Norman Manley with the aim of emulating other types of national broadcasting like the BBC. 67. So we're talking like this is very early reggae. Oh, it's... This is it, like, you know, uh, ska almost still. Yeah, this is this is really, really early, early on and the first reggae radio program. So he's playing stuff that, you know they're they're recording and pressing in the same weekend at studio one he's slapping it on the table the next day for his show like that's how early this is right yeah it's just awesome um he also started a group eventually called the sons of negus known for their traditional drumming and chanting this drumming refers to the nyabingi drum which is a sacred rasta drumming tradition and you can hear a fair amount of it on this ross michael record nyabingi drumming is an extension of the nyabingi order which is the oldest spiritual mansion of rastafarianism what i found it said that the nyabingi order it is linking the rastafarian religion to its african heritage it traces back to the ugandan queen nyabingi who inspired an East African anti-colonial movement in the 18th and 19th centuries. Rastafarians interpreted the movement as death to the oppressive nature and man. They manifested the Nyabingi spirit through these ritualized gatherings that they called groundations, where drumming, chanting, dancing, these were the connective pathways from the self to Africa and the divine. And this is why when you read about Nyabingi, it's described as righteous vibrations stretching all the way back to the motherland. So it's it's a really deep spiritual type of music in Rastafarianism. So Ross Michael, he kept on uh, making music as well because he, he was recording again with Coxon at the, the Studio One. In the 70s, he started putting out some records as well. He's got a 1974 album called Nyabingi, another one in 75 called Rastafari, which Peter Tosh played on. Yeah. In 76, he has an album called Kibir Amlak, and that's just to name a few. He also contributed to albums by Lee Scratch Perry, Bob Marley. He also played with Marley at the One Love Peace concert in 1978 in Jamaica. This was that concert. It's pretty famous. Like, remember, you know, when I was a kid watching all the rock docs and about Bob Marley and stuff, they always show this footage, this One Love Peace concert. This was held during a political civil war in Jamaica between the two opposing parties, the Jamaican Labour Party and the People's National Party. Have you seen the Bob Marley documentary? Yep. That's really good. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder if Ross, I wonder if Ross Michael's in it. Ugh, it's been a while, yeah, hey? I wouldn't have been paying attention at the time. Like, I have the Blu-ray of it, but I wouldn't. There's. A, I did find a good interview with Ross Michael on YouTube talking about Bob Marley and the, the One Love concert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah like a recent yeah. one. So Ross Michael, he's recorded over 25 albums too. He actually released one in 2020 called Live by the Spirit. You can go check that out on his band camp. In addition though, 
to the Sons of Nagus group, Ross Michael also performs or performed under the name Dadawa. His one album from 1974 called Peace and Love, that's probably the one that Dadawa is is most well known for, or, or Ross Michael under that name, I guess. He eventually, though, moved to L.A. in the 80s. And as I said, there's, of course, a strong tie to this release with H.R. from Bad Brains. He eventually started getting into Rastafarianism. He became interested in reggae, Rastafarianism. These pursuits, and this is what you were alluding to, Brent, it really transformed him. He began to focus more on the spiritual nature of reggae than the, the fast lifestyle of the punk scene, I guess, together with Al Judah Walker, which was a, a very frequent contributor with uh, HR in the reggae music vein of his work. They formed that group Zion Train, which released an album on Olive Tree Records in 1986. It's actually like a 12-inch EP. There's really only, yeah. there's only one song on it. The, <laughs> the other two are dub versions. Yeah, exactly. And I'm th- pretty sure Al Walker was the vocalist in Zion Train. Now, HR, along with playing with Al Walker, he formed Human Rights with his brother Earl. This is back around 84. Both Zion Train and Human Rights more focused on reggae than the Bad Brains. In the mid-80s, and I can't find any specific information about how this happened, though, HR formed a, a friendship with Ross Michael, who would end up becoming his mentor and uh, a co-musician with him, I guess. I think I, maybe this is just a guess, but I might know how they met. Okay, let's hear it. So when uh, HR formed Human Rights around 84-ish, you know, 84 to 86 kind of thing, and the Zion Train Band, uh, he he initially invited Dr. No to join that band, and he declined, opted to stick with Daryl Jennifer, at that time, uh, Daryl and Doc formed a band with this guy, Billy Banks, who I couldn't find anything about, uh, and uh, Mackie Jason on drums. Yep. yep. You know who the vocalist in that band was? It Was, was the, it Ross Michael's son? Yeah, it was Michael Ikruma. Oh, okay. I did see that. Yeah, okay. That's, okay. that's Ross Michael Jr. Okay. Yeah, and he had a band in D.C. earlier uh, called... Uh, the Israelites, and I found some posters of theirs where they played like some of these same kinds of shows, you know, that HR band was playing with like Scream. They played with Agnostic Front, The Mob, like they were a reggae band, but they played, yeah, yeah, you know, they probably played with some of these other bands like uh, Outrage or Dave Byers and and uh, Tony Perkins bands like The Psychotics and The Enzymes and all those kinds of bands, Revelation. Mm-hmm. We talked about some of those kinds of bands on the uh, human rights episode. Yeah. So I'm only assuming that Ross Michael Jr. lived in D.C. for a period and maybe Ross Michael Sr. did as well. Maybe. Or said, you know, hey, HR, you should meet my dad. Yeah. Only a guess, but considering that Ross Michael Jr. was associated with the Bad Brains and pre-Eye Against Eye. Ah, okay. Maybe. Good one. Good sleuthing. Yeah. Well, as I said, you know, Ross Michael became very much a mentor for HR. And Ross Michael was known as basically a high priest of the Rastafarian movement, a very well-respected elder. Ross Michael eventually actually baptized HR in the late 80s, naming him Ross Hailu Gabriel Joseph I. And that's where people start calling HR Joseph or Joe. In the Finding Joseph I book, 
it notes that Ross Michael was the one who questioned the name bad brains, saying badness brings sadness, and instead it should be good brains or God brains, further causing HR to question his involvement in the punk scene. This record, as I kind of alluded to along the way here, Zion Train, it's really a collaboration between Ross Michael and HR, the backing band. We'll, we'll go through this um, a little later in terms of the actual the lineup. Um, the backing band, though, consists of Earl Hudson as well, so HR's brother, and other other musicians who were in HR's circle, uh, really providing the tunes, and then Ras Michael would sing over them. In the Finding Joseph I book, Julie Bird, the co-founder of Olive Tree Records, she says that, uh, quote, Ras Michael was always a teacher. He felt the Nyabingi and the soulful spiritual songs that they used to go down to the river and sing. Ross Michael is like a prophet for many people. He remembers the history and he could bring the old into the new. So this would have been a very meaningful collaboration for HR to have uh, an album come together with such a well-respected spiritual Rastafarian musician. One of HR's frequent collaborators who I just mentioned, Al Judah Walker, he recalls that they went to Jamaica to record the Zion Train album at Dynamic Studios in Kingston, which is right around the corner from Bob Marley's studio, Tough Gong. They stayed in Ocho Rios in a huge place that used to be a skating rink, so they had plenty of space to rehearse. They recorded all the tracks in one night, and then Joe, or HR, took the tracks to Ross Michael to put his vocals over on the songs and that must be where you see the credits in terms of them um, working in the studio in Orange County but I got a little spiel on Dynamic Studios too man in Kingston it's wild it's wild so Dynamic Studios in 1963 Jamaican star Byron Lee bought what was known as the West Indies Records Limited Studio or WIRL he bought it from a guy named Edward Sega a pioneer in Jamaican music. Byron then changed the name of the studio to Dynamic Studios and built a new pressing plant since the old one had been destroyed by a fire. So that's like, you know, I'm no expert, but really when you when you watch documentaries or you read about um, reggae music or Rastafarianism and Jamaica, it really does sound like, you know, you record it, press it, play it like in the matter of days it was a very common so this studio had a like pr- had like a pressing plant in it you know oh, like yeah. they had, that's how they would get like dub plates and stuff man and play them like in the sound systems the same day they were recorded i know and like i will get into this in a bit here but i was like trying to find out more about some of these musicians on this record like the ones who i don't know like al walker i know and obviously earl hudson i know i thought maybe some of these players worked for the studio because a lot of those studios had almost like a wrecking crew type situation oh for sure yeah so well so byron lee he really got this dynamic sounds studio hopping he had a band called the dragonairs who of course recorded there but the studio like as soon as he took over it seems really became just hopping um right from its beginning in the ska era also through the Roots, Dance Hall, and onwards. It was a very, very important studio, apparently. Um, lots of people have recorded there. Uh, Bunny Whaler, Peter Tosh, Yellow Man, Toots and the Maytals, 
Jimmy Cliff, Inner Circle, King Tubby. There's over 2,000 entries for this studio on Discogs. But Brent, Rolling Stones, Goat's Head Soup, 1973, Dynamic Sound Studio. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That was, I mean, they, Keith and Mick played on Peter Tosh's, they signed him to Rolling Stones Records. Like that's when they were, well, that's when all the British musicians were getting into reggae, like Eric Clapton, you know. The, uh, the Bob Marley Catch a Fire album, 1976. Paul Simon's self-titled 1979 album. Tons and tons and tons of people have recorded at Dynamic Sound Studios. So very cool that this record was recorded there as well. Oh, it would have been huge for HR to go to Jamaica if he hadn't already been and get, you know, get a legitimate recording done in a Jamaican studio. Yeah. Now in the Finding Joseph I book, Ross Michael describes this album as a mystical album. He says it was done through love for Joseph or HR. He also recalls that they did some live shows once or twice with HR or the Human Rights Band opening up for Ross Michael, essentially. And then Ross Michael would join the band. Um, Now, another thing about this record, if you know the HR album Singing in the Heart, which we'll get to, um, what, in like 30 or 40 episodes from now? Some of the music also sounds familiar because they, there are different versions of some of the songs on this record on that one too. And for my money, I mean, I, I like this record, the Ross Michael record, the singing in the heart record has a better sound. I don't know why, but we'll get into it then. I'm pretty sure they are the same backing tracks. Yeah. I think they're remixed. Yeah. Yeah. It's the remix. They sound better on that later one. Um, Now, before we get, into the details of this album though just a bit more about ross michael because i mean he's a pretty pretty important dude right um here's a few things i found in august of 2015 he was awarded the order of distinction by the jamaican government in recognition of his contribution to the development of the country's music that's why like if you look up his wikipedia page it says his name and then od right next to it he has the Order of Distinction from Jamaica. Mm. Also, um, there's a spiel on him at the back of the Finding Joseph I book. It says, um, and then I pulled this together with a couple of other sources. In addition to acting as an evangelist, an ambassador, and diplomat for the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawahedo Church internationally, Ross Michael is one of the founders and president of the Rastafarian International Marcus Garvey culture center in los angeles and also the flyaway culture center in kingston jamaica Hmm. so that guy has had a life yeah yeah no kidding hey ryan here's an interesting thing for you so you mentioned that hr's band and ross michael played a few shows together yeah so josh hayden from uh treacherous jaywalkers he and i emailed back and forth semi-regularly and he's just got a zillion insane stories and this was a while ago, but he, and I've been hanging on to it for this episode. He just, he said, this was after, I think, a Bad Brains episode. He okay. was talking about how he saw the Bad Brains. And he goes, one of the best, most memorable memorable gigs I ever saw of any kind of music was HR opening for Ross Michael at a little bar called the Alligator Lounge in West LA, down nice. the street from McCabe's Guitar Shop. It must have been for the Human Rights album. Nobody showed up. It was me and maybe 20 other people. I thought HR and his band were going to be loud, but they started playing really quiet and kept it quiet the whole show. 
HR was singing like he was on a higher plane than everyone else, and he wanted to bring the few people who showed up with him. It was hypnotizing, and I'd never seen anything like it. This gig, probably more than any other live show, influenced what I would start trying to do a few years later with my band Spain. During Ross Michael's set, HR sang backup, and at the end, Ross Michael blessed him with a Rastafarian chant. It was pretty crazy. Wow, just imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In downtown LA. Yeah. Like of all places. I love it. I love those stories. Thanks for yeah. sending that. I can't yeah. wait to get into another Treacherous Jaywalkers album, by the way. Yeah, me too. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Well, that's all I pulled together for History Lesson Part 1. Should we get into the record? Yeah. History Lesson Part 2. All right. So first thing I thought I would do is I'd read you a Spaceman quote, and yeah. then I'd read you the insert on the album, which I have, because there's some sweet details on the insert. And then maybe it sounds like you've got some nuggets to lay on us as I get through that. Well, a lot of this record, and I'll tell the people, like we we try as hard as we can on this podcast to get the real story on some of these records. And I don't think I've ever tried harder. Yeah, it's hard. This one. <laughs> it's hard to find, to find someone who could tell me about it, even though, Ryan, like... Yeah. And it's hard to find some of these people because they're pseudonyms. I was really beating my head against a wall with this one. So great job on the history lesson. A lot of this stuff that I have is speculation, though. Oh, okay. Part. Okay. So. Well, I can't wait for you to speculate, my friend. <laughs> All right. This is what uh, the Spaceman said in the SST catalog about this record. There are pretenders, and there are those who truly can wear the mantle of Rasta respectability. Ross Michael is one of those legendary figures. Since his first chart hit in 1964, right up to his newest release, Ross Michael is the Brethren's Voice. Eight songs produced by HR, available on LP, cassette, and CD. Yeah. Nice. Now, for the most information on this record, and again, other than what we covered in History Lesson part one the most info that i could find is on the insert in this lp but it has a great intro quote that i want to read as well too this is not details this just gives you a sense of the vibe that ross michael and hr were trying to get at here's what it says right at the top of the insert greetings in the name of i and i divine light and savior jesus christ who has now revealed him self unto i and i in his kingly character, and no other than his imperial majesty, Jah, Rastafari, Emperor Halisalasii, Almighty God, whom is, was, and forever shall be the wonderful counselor. Yeah. Just super, the, again, like, it's a very spiritual vibe, this record. Yep. Now, how do you want to do this? Um, I'd like to go through the players, because there's a long list here. Should I do that before the tracks? Yeah, go ahead, and I'll I'll back clean up. All right, here we go. And this, the thank you list on this thing is killer too, man. Yeah. Okay, so here's what it says. Your players of instruments with singers are vocals and backing vocals, Paul Hudson, obviously, HR, yeah. Joe Joseph. Interesting that he used the name Paul Hudson mm -hmm. instead of like Ross Gabriel Josephi. Uh, which is what he's credited as on the human rights record, I believe, or even HR. 
yeah. So he must be going back to, you know, his birth name, his roots, something like that, maybe. Don't know. Vocals and backing vocals, Ketty drums, Nyabingi percussions, and Casio, Ross Michael. Yeah, Casio. You know what that is, baby. That's some serious (laughs) keyboard action. Yeah. Vocals and backing vocals, Ross Judah Selassie, and that's Al Judah Walker. Yeah, yeah, we saw him on episode 117, and we'll be seeing him again pretty soon, I think. Huge HR collaborator during this time. As I mentioned, I'm pretty sure the vocalist on the Zion Train band. Zal. Uh, yep. Not to be confused with the British Zion Train, by the way, if people are looking them up. Yeah, you know how many times I saw that bloody band over the last two weeks? Yeah. I hate that band, man. I like... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted info on this record, and I, that one kept on coming up. Yeah. Um, drums, Earl Hudson otherwise known on this record as Asher. And that Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I mean, maybe that's a Ross Michael dub name. Yeah, so I'm trying to think, like, who all went to Jamaica? Obviously, Earl did, because he plays drums on this, right? Al Walker, too. Yeah. Well, Al Walker wrote half the songs on this record, too. Yeah. But then it says, bass and rhythm gets Pablo Hamilton. Yeah, so I think that's Dr. Paul. He's a Jamaican bass player played in the group Rhythm Kings. I'm wondering if he, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't living in Jamaica, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe same with a few of these guys. Keys and Synth, William Banks. Yeah. Uh, He's played with um, Ross Michael Jr. on some of his records. So I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, And then we've got lots of percussionists here. We've got a guy named Bungo Herman. I think that might be a typo. Uh, Bongo Herman, aka Herman Davis. If it's the same guy, he's played bongos on a on dozens of reggae Millions. singles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next one. So Bongo Herman is credited as percussions. This guy, Ja Trevor, is credited as percussions and also specifically Nyabingi drums. Yeah, him. I couldn't find anything out about. Um, cause it's jaw Trevor, so it doesn't yeah. give you much to go off of, but like, I don't think these, these percussionists are the sons of Nagus. Nagus? No, not the I, same band. Hey, no, I don't think I so. I don't either. think so. No. Yeah. I tried, I tried to cross reference and I mean, maybe, but it didn't jump out at me. Another percussionist mentioned here is Prince Chad. Yeah. Same thing. Couldn't find anything out about Prince Chad. Yeah. And then on backing vocals, Carlitha Haskins is the last musician. Yeah, I don't know who she is. Uh, she's listed on the Human Rights album as executive coordinator. So this is just a guess, but I'm guessing she's associated with HR somehow. Yeah, manager or something manager. maybe. Yeah. yeah. As mentioned, recorded at Dynamics Studio, Kingston, Jamaica, August 22nd, 1987. And then it says multiple track recording and mixing at AMS Studio, Orange County, California, December 4th, 1987. The Dynamics crew in Jamaica, the engineer is listed as David Umoja. And then it says mixed by Mike and Joe. I I don't know if that's Ross Michael and and Joseph, Paul Hudson. I don't know. That's my assumption. Yeah. The crazy thing for me is like in that book, Finding Josephi, they kind of talk about Julie Bird as being like a financial benefactor. Yes. For HR, she financed, I think, all of Tree. 
I'm just speculating that she may have financed this trip to Jamaica. Any way you slice it, there's a lot going on in this record. Uh, <laughs> and like a lot of backing vocals, a lot of percussion, some guitar overdubbing. It's crazy that they recorded whatever they recorded. I'm going to assume most of it, or at least the bed tracks in Jamaica in one day. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this album has eight tracks. And then there's, of course, more on subsequent HR records, at least one anyways. They must have recorded about, I'm going to guess, a, a dozen bed tracks. Yeah, so I didn't look on Singing in the Heart to see if some of the tracks that are on there that aren't on this were also recorded possibly at the same session. Oh, well, here, here's, here's the thing, man. Singing in the Heart has no credits in it, no yeah. recording dates, nothing. <laughs> of course it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but the, the tracks that are on both of them, I think there's three of them, maybe four, uh, I'm pretty sure are the same recordings, remixed, at least to my ear, but they all have, instead of Ross Michael, they have HR on lead vocals. Mm -hmm. I'm almost wondering if he didn't record lead vocals for all of these tracks in Jamaica, in Jamaica, scrub them or not scrub them. But when they go back to LA and they record and mix in one day, Ryan yeah, <laughs> at AMS studio, Orange County, they just separately recorded Ross Michaels vocals. So now they have basically two versions of these songs. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. It is. Well, just a few other things from the insert before we start going through the tracks here. It says, also, after it lists all the credits, this album is dedicated to the 12 tribes of Israel and our beloved prophet Gad. It's spelled G-A-D, Gad. Pretty sure that was the, the I don't know if this is the right word, but the sect of, of Rastafarianism that HR uh, was a part of. The 12 tribes? Yep. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then it says, uh, for all I springs are in thee. Then it says special thanks to Ross, Michael, Michael Carter and Deborah, Michael Jackson, Marie Bailey and Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> and then it has an extra special thanks. And I love this because I mean, there's not many reggae albums where you get to see a thanks an extra special thanks to the band Scream, Discord Records, the Beastie Boys, and the Cro-Mags. <laughs> yeah. And then it says, and last but never least, Israel Vibrations, Selassie I Lives. Yeah. Like the band Israel Vibrations. Yes, exactly. Time to go through these tracks, hey? Yep. Uh, now, the first song is Jealous. And this song is, it's, it really like, it sets the tone for the record right off the bat, but it's weird. The vocals kind of sound out of tune. Um, it's a track by Al, Al Walker who wrote it. Um, but again, like if you listen to a lot of reggae and a lot of dub reggae, the vocals sound totally perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the a lot of reggae records sound like that, especially when a lot of them like junior Marvin or somebody that like that are singing in the falsetto like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's a cool opener. It's a lot of this record sounds a bit dated, 
like a lot of reggae stuff in the 80s sounded, especially when they started putting keyboards on them. Oh, like the uh, next the next track, Youth Man yeah. Sufferer. It has some cheesy synth on it for sure. Probably the Casio. Yeah, yeah. but it's also, this song's got a good Roots vibe. Uh, some definite reggae nods, like the phaser on the leads. Yeah. It's a total reggae move. Uh, you've got the Nyabingi drums uh, that you hear on other Ross Michael albums. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the drums in some of these songs. It makes the songs a little too busy for me. They do sound like they're, you know, they're, they're inserted yeah. in there, you know, like not necessarily, you know, part, they, I don't want to call them an afterthought, but I mean, I think that they're kind of just sneaking them in here and there. There's a couple of tracks where they are a key part of the mm-hmm. song, but these ones here, they're just kind of in the background. They're kind of just sprinkled throughout, not really adding a ton, I would say. Yeah. Some of them, they're maybe mixed a little high. Yeah. This next track, Youth Men Sufferer, written by HR. As I said, it's got those cheesy synthesizers. Then it gets cool, though. It's a pretty sweet dub track. And the Nyabingis work there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So right away you hear HR. And, the you know, I hate to say this, but the contrast between him and Ross Michael vocally is really noticeable. Yep. Yep. The keys, again, kind of dated a bit. Um, but it, I also wrote, it has a good dub vibe to it. Yeah, it does. Uh, lyrically, this is what I want in my reggae, like giving thanks and praises to Haley Selassie. There's a bit of shredding in it. I assume from Al Walker, he's not even credited in the credits as playing guitar, but, uh, and this is one of the ones we'll be hearing on SST 224 singing in the heart. Yeah. One of the three by my count. Um, Next, it goes to another Al Walker tune, I and I Praise Rastafari. The Nyabingis are very prominent in this track. Yeah. This is one of those short kind of repetitive Rasta chants that you hear, like on Roots reggae albums. Yeah. Some of them are better than others. They're usually like a repetitive chant, you know, uh, this one's not great. Uh, I'm not super into the percussion. Like there's a little too much of it. Like there's even the, some of the other stuff besides the drums, like there's a triangle, there's a vibra slap. Uh, and again, when you've got HR sandwiched between two tracks with Ross Michael on vocals, I hate to say it, but it doesn't do Ross Michael any favors. The next track though, Nazareth dub, an HR track. I, I, this is the one where the Nyabingi and the percussion really stands out in a good way for me. There's some different tones here on the drums. I think it works. Yeah. Uh, some pretty high falsetto vocals, I'm assuming from Carlitha Haskins. I actually thought it was a theremin at first. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, and the, to me, the title is a little misleading. This isn't a dub track in the sense that you normally think of dub, dub reggae. It's more like a psychedelic remix with lots of percussion in it Hmm. to me. Interesting. Well, all four tracks are done and you flip it over. It's a short album. It's just like 30 minutes or so. And then we go to track one on side B, the track Something Good, which is actually a take on that 
horrible Herman Her- Herman's Hermits song from 1964, originally written by Jerry Goffin or and Carol King, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. No how credits, though. How does, how does it go? How does it go? Brant, sing that song. <laughs> I'm not singing it, but this is credited to Al Walker. I think like just just the chorus is kind of a nod to yeah. that song. The verses are different. I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. But it's an Al, Al Walker track. Yeah. It's a there's a bit of scatting at the beginning, yeah. too, which yeah. is like, what is going on here? It's a wild one. Yeah. But it is like reggae music totally taking cues from other pop music very common yep yep all right the next track written by hr rasta time this is a cool tune for me laid back has a discernible chorus as well to it that i i thought was a nice uh nice touch yeah i mean one of the things that makes this a standout i hate to keep harping on this is that hr Mm -hmm. (laughs) sings on it and he just elevates the songs that he sings on uh, the next track then, Fool's Gold, another track on Singing in the Heart. This one's written by HR. Another laid back track. For me, though, the thing that sticks out, for some reason, every time that I listen to this record, the thing that sticks out are Earl's drumming. He, he's got a killer pocket on this one for me again. This one, for me, lyrically kind of ties in with HR's kind of philosophy around this time and a lot of his actions too, like backing out of big money, major label deals, mm. the bad brains and feeling like he was selling himself out. Or as he says in the lyrics, like, don't you sell your soul for no, no fool's gold. Fool's gold to the devil, right? The devil yeah. music mogul guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, and there's, as you mentioned, spoiler alert, a superior version of this song in sing on singing in the heart. And, and a dub version of it also on that yes. record. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the last track, Kings of Kings. This is by Al Walker. I like this track. This is one of my favorite Al Walker tunes on the record, for sure. Yeah, another sort of Rasta chant. It's it's an interesting record. It's, like you said, it's 30 minutes long. Yeah. I really short. think it's it's it struck me, again, when I when I read what little I could about HR's relationship with Ross Michael and what this record was intended to do, it really seems like it was HR wanting to pay tribute to his mentor. Yeah, for sure. Shame Ryan that there's no credits for the artwork. Yeah. The artwork is pretty cool. It definitely fits a reggae album. The the cover has got that, very striking purple uh, hand-drawn Ross Michael Zion train with uh, the cross. And then the... It's painted, you can tell. That's paint. Yeah. 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 Uh, And then the Jamaican lion in the top right-hand corner there, which is the the, uh, the Ethiopian Haile Selassie lion. That's the lion of Judah. Yeah. Flip it over. It's got... um, I mean, it looks like a kingdom, a painting of a kingdom, and two Rastafarians holding scepters with their dreads. Um, I mean, it's definitely some killer Rasta imagery for sure. Um, It mentions at the back here, the credits, it says, Ras Michael on the Zion train, 
almost like it was Ross Michael playing with the Zion Train band almost is how that sounds. Yep. Um, it says credits are a bit different here though. It says recorded October 24, 87 at dynamic studios, Kingston, Jamaican re-recorded Q studio falls church, Virginia mixed AMS in orange County, California. So that Q studio falls church. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's me. And, and if we're thinking about Virginia near DC, yeah. I don't know what, what that is. HR was the HR was living in Virginia for a while. That's where he ended up getting busted. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, I just wonder if in the church, maybe that's where they recorded some of the percussion. Don't know. Maybe. Um, then there is a quote on the back and it says for unto us, a child is born and unto I and I, a son is given and he shall have the government upon his shoulders. He shall rule the people with equity justice and righteousness for all Selah. So I'm, I'm just assuming that's in reference to Haile Selassie there. Yeah. Yeah. It's great artwork. Perfect for a reggae album. Yeah. Did you uh, check out the spine on it too? It's got the yellow or the gold, red and green on the spine too. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. No dead wax though. Yeah. It's cool that this record came out on SST. It is, but I mean, and I, I get it for its spiritual importance to HR, but I think you can tell already. I mean, if I had to pick, I'd probably put on an HR record over this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, but it's, uh, it's about 50, 50, this one. Yeah. Lots of mystery around it though. Yeah. Maybe it's better that we don't know. Maybe we should have a little mystery on this podcast. Maybe that's okay. You're the one who will have the hardest time with it. So it's up It's up to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not done the show yet. Like the run of this show. There's. It wouldn't be the first time we've got updated info a year later and spieled about it. So could still happen. That's Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Should we head over to the ballot result, right? Let's do it. Ballot result. I don't know what you're going to pick, but can we just agree it will not be something good? Yes. Okay, good. No, it'll be something good, but not the song. Right. Something good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my three p- picks, no surprise, are Youth Man Sufferer, Rasta Time, and Fool's Gold. Fool's Gold. Hmm. Let's go with Rasta Time. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I think that this one is like, you know, it's pretty on par with the one on Singing in the Heart. We've got some good ones to pick there. Doesn't matter if we can't pick Rasta Time for that one. Sure. Woo. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we're going back to a band we haven't had on for a while. Looking forward to it, though. It's SST 169, the Tar Babies No Contest LP. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, Tony Jarvis is on the show. Nice. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support. 
and we hope to see you next week.